This is Heather Vickery with the Brave Files podcast, and you are listening to Pop Goes Your World. I'm Chris McBrien, and the pop culture from Generation X is everything to me. And I'm Derek Myers, and I'm here to educate Chris on the great pop culture of today's generation. Episode 94, Animated Films. Brian and the Caveman, Derek Myers. This is Pop Goes Your World, the pop culture podcast for the generations. I'll tell you what, if you like animated films, this is the podcast for you. If you'd like to reach out to us, you'll find us on Twitter at Amaron underscore DM. That's for Derek, Caveman. And you'll find me at C McBrien and popgoesyourworld.com is our website with all of our contact information. Now, one thing we mentioned at the end of last show, we were going to review 1968's Night of the Living Dead, the George A. Romero classic. But we decided we're going to come back to that next episode. We're going to review that movie. In the meantime, we're going to take a look at our favorite animated movies. But before we do, uh, Derek, want to talk about anything this week? Uh, no, been uh, pretty busy with work, so I haven't really had a lot of time to do anything uh, pop culture related. Um, listening to a bunch of podcasts that are all predicting the Oscar winners. So uh, maybe in a couple of weeks, once the Academy Awards have been held, we can have a, a follow-up show where we talk about the winners, losers, and upsets. But uh, until then... I'm good to just uh, take in a few more of the Oscar contenders and uh, and go with that. What about you, Chris? What's new in the world of pop culture with you this week? Well, a couple things I guess I could share. So I have a Roku stick, and I don't know if you know what a Roku stick is. It's this. No little, idea. It's kind of like um, a little USB thing, and it kind of you plug it into your TV in the HDMI, and then what it does is it basically turns your TV into a smart TV bunch of apps are on it, right? Kind of like a little Apple TV to go kind of thing. So I have one upstairs in the bedroom. And uh, so I have this Roku stick and most of it, like, like it's got the, the usual stuff. You know, it's got like, um, you know, like Netflix and YouTube. I just love YouTube, right? And it's got like the, you know, NHL and MLB and stuff like that. So that's all great. And then most of the other apps that you can put on it, like they're most of them are crap, right? Just old movies you've never heard of. And you and I, are two guys that know a lot of obscure films. These movies that they put on, on some of these apps, like I've never even heard of them. But um, I found a couple of apps that were really cool. And one was um, the Bob Newhart show. I'm talking about the old one from the 70s where he's like the psychologist okay. and with Suzanne Plachette. And it's like all every episode of that is on there. So I've been watching that like crazy. And the other one is Hogan's Heroes. I don't know if you ever watched Hogan's Heroes. It used to be on, it's an old show, like from the 60s, but it used to be on after school when I was like in like the 70s and 80s, when I get home after school, when I was a kid, um, it used to be on. So I used to watch it. And so that app's on there. So it's kind of cool. So those two things I've been watching. Nice. Oh, and one other thing I mentioned a couple of weeks ago, my son um, did his speech and like he he's he's in grade four. And, right. and so all the other kids are all like nine years old and all the other kids are doing their speeches on like Minecraft and, you know, Fortnite and stuff. And my son did his speech on Queen right, <laughs> and then Freddie Mercury, which is just so cool. And uh, so he got chosen to do it in front of the whole school. Nice. It's going to be the this week uh, coming up. So I'm going to go and see him. I took the day off work so I can go in and watch him in front of the whole school and give a speech. I just think that's so cool that this old subject, you know, but the thing is, I think it, it really appeals to sort of the Gen X teachers. Right. So the teacher's like, oh, that's a really cool subject. Let's let this kid go on. You know, so it's really good. So I'm really proud of him. So nice. I'm really looking forward to that. Well, I, and I figure exactly like you said, if uh, if all the other kids in the class are doing, you know, a handful of two or three different topics, you don't want to pick a couple of them 
to do speeches where you're going to have to hear similar speeches over and over again. If, if uh, your son's speech was vastly different and on a topic nobody else was doing, then that certainly gave him a leg up before he even opened his mouth. And if he could actually deliver the speech, so much the better. Yeah, well, I guess we'll find out if he yeah. freezes or yeah. not. I'll be rooting for him. But yeah, wait, wait, we'll... let me ask you this. Yeah. At any point in the speech, does he sing? Uh, no, he doesn't. He doesn't. He's 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 like me. He can't sing with a lick. <laughs> OK, fair so, enough. Yeah, no, he doesn't sing at all. No, that's 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 a good point, because if he did, he wouldn't be moving on. Let me tell you. <laughs> but speaking maybe, of maybe, yeah, what's maybe that? he can incorporate the the we will rock you, the boom, boom clap. He can like get <laughs> exactly at the beginning. He, it was funny because he actually tried to do that. He tried to sing like he was like, don't stop me now. And I'm like, Trent, just don't do that. Not, that just doesn't work. <laughs> nah, let's just move nice. on from that. Just say it. We're good. You know, nice, really nice. appreciate it. We appreciate the effort there, buddy. But let's just cut that one out. But anyway, uh, you want to get st- started on uh, talking about animated films? Absolutely. Let's yeah, do it. Okay, let's go. I mean, we love them. We hate them. We agree. We disagree. Freddie Mercury is the greatest singer who, who ever was. He is the greatest singer that ever will be. Some of the things in Freddie Mercury's real life were uh, possibly X-rated. <laughs> there is no way Rocky was a better movie than Taxi Driver. I love this idea. Probably the greatest film that's ever made. And I just picked it on a whim. And we can have a couple beers and we can play Escape from the Death Star. Walking in a winter wonderland. I try to pick something Christmas. This is a Fargan trick question! Okay, so before we get started running down our top five list this week, and we're going to be obviously talking about our top five animated films of all time, the the ones we really like, um, I wanted to talk a little bit about how animated films have changed. Because obviously, now everything is computer-generated. Right. Everything everything since like, I guess, 94 when um, Toy Story came out that really kind of revolutionized, you know, animation. And now everything is computer generated for the most part. I think even some of the quote unquote stuff that looks almost hand drawn is really done on a computer. Nothing is done the old way, you know, of drawing picture by picture by picture by picture. Yeah, I think I think at this point it's come down to dollars and cents. It's just cheaper to do it on the computer. Even though, though? even even to replicate, well, I mean, think of something like South Park, where originally it was it was the construction paper cutouts, like that was exceptionally time consuming. And I I can remember reading stuff about the show where they said after a certain number of years, they were like, we have to change this to computer. It is just way, way too labor intensive not to. Um, And I think that's what we that's basically what the world's come to. Even with regular movies now, there are scenes you watch in a movie and you think, oh, there's this interesting car chase scene. And you you read after that, oh, that was all CG. And it's like, well, couldn't they have just had a couple of cars really doing that? And it comes down to how much would it cost to put it in place? What are the risks to real life people? How much is the insurance? They're like, forget it. We'll just hire some computer nerds and boom, got it done. I think it's more, I think you hit on something because I think it's less money and cost because CGI is expensive as hell, right? I think it's less cost, but I think it's more, like you said, uh, time, time consuming. Yeah. It's more time consuming to find the the sets, you know, to find a location and then to get a bunch of like if you think about what the, they did in the Blues Brothers where they got all these cars and these trucks and they just basically drove them around downtown Chicago and basically had like a demolition derby in the city. Like you just couldn't do that now. Like it's just easier just just CGI it just in terms of time and to, like you said, safety and things like that. So but the thing is, is that I've mentioned before I have two young sons and their reaction to hand-drawn animation is so much stronger than it is to computer stuff. Like, I don't know if it's just them. I think they're onto something. Like, the hand-drawn stuff, just, it's different. It has a different quality to it. Because, as you know, I like to instill Gen X stuff in my young kids. I, I insist that they watch old 
you know, TV shows, old movies, and that includes old animated films. And every time that we watch something that involves hand-drawn animation, they just love it better. They like it better than the new stuff. It's weird. Yeah. So let me let me throw, uh, you know, just an off-the-top-of-my-head theory out here. Sure. Oh, yeah. I'd like to know why this is. I, I think it's safe to say, I think it's fair to say that perfection is distracting to look at. What makes things more pleasant are the slight imperfections. And I think when you have hand-drawn cell animation, for example, there's the human element. And it yeah, it looks great. But I think there are, you know, just those small touches that a human being brings to that process that almost looks like it's flawed in some ways. It's it's clear that it's not real life. Um, and I think that with the computer, because everything is so exact and precise right to the most minuscule decimal point, you almost have a, a more perfect rendering of of what you're drawing as opposed to if you drew it with a pencil or or you painted it with a brush or whatever else, there are those small imperfections. And, and I think that that could be why even you know myself, just like your kids, when I watch some of the old classic Disney cartoons that I know have nothing to do with computers that are drawn and painted on cells, they just look and feel different. You get a different emotional reaction from them. I wonder if there's a disconnect with the computers involved, just because when an artist and, and an animated, you know, an animator is an artist, let's be honest. And Absolutely. when an artist puts, you know, brush to canvas or pen to paper or whatever, like his emotions are just coming out there. There's something about that art being created that, that, that happens. Something very visceral happens in the artistic process for the most part. And I just wonder if there's a disconnect there with that sort of using a computer as the medium. I wonder if that kind of buffers the artistic process in some way. Does that make any sense? It does. And I, I don't think you and I are going to come across the answer here tonight. I think we just throw out some some suggestions and some ideas. And, and I think some of our listeners will agree <laughs> with our points of view, or they may even have their own take. And if you do, by all means, reach out to us and let us know what you think. Yeah, I'm uh, curious to I know. Yeah. There are definitely pros and cons to the old, quote unquote, old ways and the quote unquote, new ways. Uh, new ways, I would think predominantly, like you said, being computerized mm-hmm. in some way, uh, regardless of how the output looks. And I think we'll touch on some of that as we go through our picks tonight. Okay. So speaking of our picks, why don't you get us started and we'll start at your number five and we'll go back and forth up to our number one. What's your number five animated film of all time, my friend? I'm, all right. I'm anxious to get into this list. So I, again, I want to I want to emphasize that as, as with all of our top fives, yep. we're not trying to come up with the textbook definitions of nope. the best. Nope. We're not coming up with the ones that made the most money. We're not coming up with the ones that won the most awards. This is a personal preference all right i agree yep okay so my number five is the lego movie released in 2014 interesting so uh i think this builds nicely on what you were just talking about the lego movie is 100 percent computer animated uh 3d computer animated and it looks amazing well let me ask you this have you seen it chris uh sort of 
So one time we were having a quote unquote boys night, me and my son here, my wife was out of town and I, we usually watch old stuff. Like we watch Star Wars or, you know, Raiders of the Lost Ark. And that was one time when my son said, I want to watch the Lego movie. So we put it on and I just couldn't get into it all that much. I don't know, maybe just because it was computer generated. It sure looks real though. They sure do a heck of a job. Like it, the, the, it almost looks like real Lego pieces moving the way they do the job. Well, but and, I watched yeah. parts of it. That's the one. Is, and at the end, isn't Will Ferrell come into it at the end? Uh, yeah. Yeah. Spoiler. Yeah. Spoiler. Yes. Yes. So, yeah. I mean, he does one of the voices of one right. of the main characters, and then yeah, at the end, they they intermix the real life with the right. with the Lego. So, so yeah. Uh, so I have seen again, somewhat. So building on what you said, with the idea of the computer animation or i guess even building what i said the animation being like perfection uh the the movie literally looks like the lego pieces moving around on their own um obviously the mouths and the faces on the the little men and and women characters you see the mouths moving and the eyes emote and all of that stuff which is more a traditional you know sort of cartoony kind of animation but as far as all the scenery all the sets even the clouds in the sky and the waves in the water are all uh, comprised of Lego pieces, or at least that's what it looks like. Right. And so you've got this, uh, all, you know, nearly two hour story and it's comprised entirely of moving Lego pieces. And I'm thinking back to when I was a kid and it's like, wow, you know, you always, when I was playing with Lego, you would imagine, oh, well, you know, they do this and they do that. As a child, I never would have imagined a movie like this. And I'm so amazed that now they're in we're at a point we're living in the future chris the they can make these kinds of movies and it was a huge box office hit when it came out i think it probably did better than people expected the story was great they've got tons of big name cast uh doing the voices and uh it's one of these movies that although it's an animated movie i would argue that it's not a kids movie it is certainly an all ages movie but there is so much of this that is geared towards adults and a mature audience. Uh, I, I would definitely say that with the Lego movie, uh, it's an adult movie with a lot of kid situations and humorous parts and, and a lot of you know colors and, and toys. So like kids will enjoy it and the songs are great. Um, but I don't know if you ever saw the Batman Lego movie that they put out a few years later. Probably not. I'm no, imagining. I didn't see it. So based on how much I like Lego, when – uh, the Batman Lego came out. I'm like, hey, I love the Lego movie. I love Batman. This is two of my worlds coming together. I'm going to see this movie. And we did. My wife and I went and saw it in the theater on the first day, and I didn't like it. I felt that the Batman Lego movie was a kid's movie way more than the Lego movie was. It was clearly designed for a much younger audience, and I felt that that was a failing in the Batman movie, at least from my point of view as a grown-up. Uh, but whereas the Lego movie I found was a much more mature story, a uh, much more mature movie, uh, the animation was fantastic. The voice work was great. The story was great. It, I felt it just uh, you know, checked all the boxes, and it was a very positive movie with a positive message, and they put out a sequel. Lego Movie 2, the second piece, second part, second part, uh, which I just saw last week. And I don't think it was quite as good as the first one, but it definitely had a lot of uh, upbeats to it. And uh, I would say anyone who's seen the first one who liked it, if you haven't seen the second one, you should go. I think you made a little bit of a slip there, but I think it was a good one. You said the Lego Movie 2, the second piece. That would be a good name for it because it's like well, a piece of Lego. Yeah. Well, I think they call it the second part, and that's yeah. the idea. Is it's supposed to be like a part of a Lego. Right. Um, yeah. I like so anyway, that's my number five Lego movie. Well, I like it. Um, so yeah, like I say, I I, I watch parts of it. 
you know, but like I say, the, the, the animation certainly is incredibly well done. I'll, I'll say that much for sure. Um, okay, so for my number five, I think I've told this story on the podcast before. So my uncle Phil... Uh, took me to go see Star Wars in 1977 in the movie theater when I was seven years old. And obviously, it, you know, changed my life, totally blew me away, right? You know, and I, if I remember correctly, just shortly after we went to see that movie, he took me to the movies again to see an animated movie that was put out by Disney called The Rescuers. And it's by number five. It's about these two mice and voiced by the previously mentioned Bob Newhart who is on my Roku stick now. So Bob Newhart and Eva Gabor do the voices of these mice. And they're basically sent out to rescue this orphan girl who's kidnapped by this woman named Medusa. And I remember Medusa has these, like, instead of dogs, she's got, like, two alligators that are, like, on chain leashes, you know? And they're, like, guard dogs, like, you know, guard alligators. And they use them to attack people and stuff. And so Medusa kidnaps this girl. Her name is Penny. And then she tries to use her to, like, go inside this cave to find this big diamond that she wants to get, you know, because she's greedy and she wants to get it. And so the mice have to go down to, like, the bayou swamps to rescue her and get this diamond. And I think they even, like, donate to the Smithsonian or something like that, just because of course, right? Um, But I recently had, as I mentioned before, I recently had my two sons watch this movie. And they loved it. The hand-drawn animation. They were just mesmerized right from the get-go. You know, they just... They were just immersed in this movie. And I think it just goes back to what we were saying before. There's just something about that hand-drawn animation that just draws kids in. Um, But um, they absolutely loved it. Just a a piece of trivia on this, too. The movie was so popular when it came out. They actually uh, came up with a sequel years later in 1990, The Rescuers Down Under. And it uh, it was the first ever sequel to a Disney animated movie. So there's always that. But the original from 77, The Rescuers, I really like that movie. And like I say, I went back and watched it recently with my kids, and it holds up. I love it. It's great. My number nice. five. Uh, I, I do – I know that I saw it as a young kid. I don't really have uh, much memory of it. It definitely wasn't a standout among the Disney animated movies for me, but uh, I do know a lot of people that, that felt – uh, that that they enjoyed it almost as much as what you're talking about. Mm-hmm. So it, it certainly has a place in the hearts of, of a lot of the fans, but I can't say that I am personally one of them. I don't dislike the movie. I just don't really have a memory of it. Right. So. That's okay. You're, you're yeah. younger than me. So, uh, okay. On to your number four, my friend. All right. Uh, number four is, uh, again, a, a fairly recent one. I'm going to go with Wreck-It Ralph. Oh, okay. Uh, which might be a little bit of an unusual pick. So um, Wreck-It Ralph came out in 2012. Again, based on its success, it had a uh, a sequel that just came out this year, which I saw, and, and it was great, too. Uh, the idea here, Wreck- well, Ralph, again, it's a 3D computer animated uh, movie, and the idea here is that it's the characters that are inside of old classic video games. Well, not even classic video games, but the characters that are inside of video games. What do, what do they do at night when the arcade is closed? And it's the the story of all of these characters that come together and socialize. You get sort of the to see the other side of the screen. We all know what a video game is. You put the money in and you play the game and you know, uh, you know, you die or you you shoot the monster or whatever your game happens to be. And Wreck-It Ralph is very much like a Donkey Kong style homage where uh, you know ralph is the villain and fix it felix is the mario style character and the game itself looks pretty 
simplistic and then you find out through the course of this movie that the characters have these complex problems and the villain doesn't like that he's a villain he's just cast that way and what can he do to redeem himself and make friends and re- have people realize that he's a nice guy and you know it's, it's a very very positive message by the end of the movie uh you know about uh not prejudging people and and living up to your potential and it's uh it's very very much uh you know uh, again another one of these ones that's it's a kid's movie, but it's got a lot of mature themes in it, so adults will enjoy it. And I think the fact that they have taken these classic game tropes, classic game characters, like Cubert, for example, is is in the game. Uh, so they do reference real video games along with the ones that are made up for the purposes of their storytelling. Uh, but again, the animation is – it takes these familiar – styles that were created in in the 80s the 90s the 2000s and puts them all together into a movie so you have characters like Hubert like the Hubert video game is from the 80s and the character of Hubert in the game is all like pixelated and it's it's not like you don't have actual circles it's all like just small squares making up the round edges and then they have what's basically like a halo style game that you would find on Xbox where you have the uh, you know the the female military officer and she's in the armor and it's like she's perfectly rendered like you would find in today's video games and it's an interesting way to demonstrate to the audience that these characters and have have evolved the games have evolved the animation style has evolved and they're all sort of smooshed together in this story where you bring the the mature games and the kids games and the simple games and the complex games together and you bring all these characters together and it doesn't necessarily matter that they all look a little different and that they're drawn and animated in different styles you can still tell an interesting story with this so Wreck-It Ralph is my number four pick. Okay, so interestingly, I have not seen Wreck-It Ralph, but I don't like that movie, and here's why. So one year, somebody, I don't know who it was, uh, got one of my kids for Christmas this Wreck-It Ralph thing where they're like these big hands because he's got oh, really yeah. big hands. Yeah, yeah. And and so my son would put his hand in. They're basically like huge boxing gloves. <clears throat> so he would go around the house trying to smash everything in the house. So I was like, bring it, don't put those on. What a stupid gift this is. Like the worst uh, gift ever. So for that reason, I didn't like the movie. But then interestingly, this one's going to blow you away. I actually saw the sequel because my youngest son, my, my, my older son was out of town and my youngest son wanted to do something when, when he was gone. So he's like, daddy, take me to the movies. I want to go see Wreck-It Ralph. What is it? Wreck-It Ralph takes on the internet um, or something like that. Ralph breaks the internet. Ralph breaks the internet. So he's like, he wanted to go see that. So I took him to the movies to go see that. So, so I actually did not see the first one. Don't like it because of the giant fists that destroyed my entire house and my living room. Uh, but I did see the sequel. It was pretty good. Well, it was like anything, you know, outstanding or anything, but it was pretty good. Um, okay, so my number four. I actually have a question for you, Derek, before I get into sure, this one. Sure, fire away. Um, do you have anything that has been a constant throughout your life? And by that, I mean, are there any things that you loved as a kid that you still love now as an adult? Oh, sure. I mean, I'm a big – I always joke with people and mm-hmm. I say I'm a 12-year-old with a job. Yeah. <laughs> That's so, because cool. when people come by, <laughs> what my a way desk, to live! That's a great way to live your when life. People come by Good my desk you. at work. I have uh, 
some superhero figures. I have posters of Batman and Superman. I have Dungeons and Dragons things. I have hockey, Boston Bruins, Toronto Maple Leafs, Vegas Golden Knights. I've got, uh, you know, ticket stubs from events. I've got uh, all sorts of stuff plastered around. And people come around and they go, oh, how old are your kids? And I'm like, uh-uh, it's just me. I love all this stuff. I'm like, I'm that's a 12-year-old awesome. with a job. That's, so, that's yeah, awesome. It, I, there's tons of stuff that I liked as a kid that have been constant that have stuck with me. It would take a whole other podcast to go through the list. But what are you getting at with this? I have three things that have stood. Well, I'm going to for my fourth is my movie. But the three things that I have loved as a kid and loved my whole life, even now to an adult, is fish sticks, ice cream sandwiches and ravioli in the can. These are three things that when I was a little kid, I loved and still as an adult, I absolutely love ravioli in the can. By the way, I mean like that Chef Boyardee ravioli in the can. Yep. I, don't, I don't know if they have that in the States. So most of our listeners might not know what the heck I'm talking about. I don't know. But the other thing that I loved as a kid and I still love as an adult is Bugs Bunny. So back in 1981, they came out with a full length feature film called the Looney, Looney, Looney Bugs Bunny movie. And it was just a compilation of some of the best cartoon shorts from those old Bugs Bunny cartoons that were on TV, like back from the 50s. And it's got like, um, oh, Satan's Waiting is in it, where Yosemite Sam basically dies and he goes, oh, yeah. to, goes to hell and he gets he, he gets sent back by Satan to try and kill Bugs Bunny and he can't do it. And he just gives up. There's a uh, hair trimmed where <laughs> Sam tries to get Granny. Remember Granny? He tries yeah. to get her money and then Bugs tries to stop him. He basically dresses up as a French guy who pretends that he's like wooing Granny, but he just, he really just beats the crap out of Yosemite Sam. And then probably one of my favorite shorts was in this movie. It was um, the three little bops. And I don't know if you remember that one. It was the three little pigs, but they're jazz musicians. Yes. You know, yes. It, 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 oh, it was so good. It, the movie is like about an hour and a half of these just great old Bugs Bunny cartoons that I loved as a kid. And I still love now. The movie is basically the animated version of Ravioli in the can for me. <laughs> <Nice>. <laughs> so that's my number four. So, so, uh, great pick. I'm not familiar with that particular work, but I am probably familiar with a lot of the the shorter um, uh, pieces that are featured in it. I'm sure you would have one seen of, them all. Yeah, yeah. One of the th- so a number of years ago they put out these um, uh, Warner Brothers classic uh, Bugs Bunny and Friends DVD sets. Okay, I think there's four or five of them, and they just have like I think each box set is like a four or six di- disc collection, and it's everything they've ever put out and, and the next time we're together chris i'll show you these things and if you haven't seen oh, anything cool. on here you're welcome to borrow them but they are fantastic and one of the reasons i bought them when i did was they were still showing bugs bunny cartoons uh on television but they were editing stuff out because the parents groups were saying oh these are too violent these are inappropriate or in some cases absolutely rightly slow rightly so some of the stuff was very racist and very inappropriate, especially when you look at it through today's lens, just absolutely you can't talk about or show some of this stuff because it was so offside. But some of the best ones, the 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 violence, the cartoon violence that's in there is a big part of it. Like how do you show the coyote and the roadrunner when you can never show the coyote getting killed? Like that's the whole joke is that the coyote's trying to catch the roadrunner and then the roadrunner outwits him and then the coyote blows up you know sequence over well if you can't show the coyote blowing up the cartoon makes no sense and i found that even with some of the better bugs bunny ones uh same idea it's like 
the scene would abruptly cut out and I, I just had to stop watching them. They were on TV. So you're uh, right. I remember that for a while there where like Bugs Bunny was on TV and uh, yeah, when, you know, Wile E. Coyote would like fall off the cliff and then before he'd hit the end, it would just cut away. Yeah. Because they were, it was too violent or whatever that they cut with that. But that was yeah. the whole point of those things is that they were, it was, you know, geez, that's so stupid. Just a, no. not, not, I, I, I'm, I'm all for progression. You know, and I've mentioned that anybody that listens to this show knows that I'm very liberal in my views. Like, you know, I'm all for progression and stuff. But when it comes to artistic stuff like this, like it's how how much is it pushing the envelope? It's showing a coyote, just like you said, dying or, you know, just yeah. basically just getting hurt because, you know, he's the one that's trying to get the roadrunner, but he's the one that ends up as the victim. So it just yeah. becomes funny. The key with comedy is that comedy is never funny to the people that it happens to. That's the whole key with comedy. And that's what this Bugs Bunny always gets, you know, yeah. for me. Yeah. So. All right. All right. Okay. So, um, uh, Building on what we've already talked about then, my number three, yes. we're on number three, right? Yes, yeah. yes. My number three, and I actually, for a while, I had this in my mind when we started putting the list together. This was my number one, and then it's, oh, interesting. <laughs> excuse me, been bumped, I bumped it two spots to number three. I'm going to go with 1940 Fantasia. Oh, that's such a good one. What a great pick. So when you talk to someone, you know, if we were doing the textbook answers, I think Fantasia has a very strong argument for being number for one. For number one, yeah. You know, it, it was one of the very first animated, full-length animated features. Uh, the animation is, especially for its time, was just so phenomenal, so beautiful. For people who maybe aren't as familiar with the contents of it, people always seem to remember, oh yeah, Fantasia, that's one where uh, Mickey Mouse is the uh, the wizard's apprentice, right? He's in mm-hmm. the magic hat, and he's got the brooms, the brooms dan- dancing around. It's right. like, yes, that's part of it. But the movie is eight different segments eight different shorts that are all um com- uh, uh smushed together to basically almost be like a greatest hits if you will even though they were all original for for the film release and they were all animated to very famous very well-known uh, classical music if anything you could argue that it's a concert that happens to have animation to give you a visual component to augment what you're listening to and the audio component, like I said, it's classical music. So you have things, uh, you know, you have Tchaikovsky, you have Beethoven. Like you have, when you say to someone, who are some classical music composers you know of? Like these are the names people say, even if you don't know music. And you've got these eight different stories. They're all animated by different animators. So they're all in different styles. The eight segments have nothing to do with each other. They all are influenced by the music itself. And when you don't really have the limitations that you might when you have a script, uh, although I'm sure they had a script, um, it's it's storytelling at its most basic form in that there's no dialogue. It's just the music. The, the, the animation on screen needs to complement the music you're hearing. The story has to be clear enough, concise enough that you get what's going on without talking, without dialogue. And eight segments in a row you get that and you get this beautiful music and you see these vibrant colors and going back on something you said a few episodes ago, we were talking about King of the Hill. You were saying like, I don't understand why that show was animated. It's a show about real people doing real things. If you're going to use animation, show me something I can't get in real life. 
Well, here you have eight little segments where they show you things that could never happen. You see magic and you see fantasy and you see unicorns and you see animals dancing ballet and you see the image of the devil and, and the colors and it's just dinosaurs. You know, it's phenomenal. Yeah, yeah it's, wow, it's so just good. a comp- composition of all of these things sprouting from the imagination of all of these great creators to put together to come up and uh, you get what you get is Fantasia. Now, I did a little homework here to, to read a little more about it. Apparently, when it was released, it did well in America, but because this was right uh, when World War II was starting, it didn't get released in Europe right away. Obviously, people weren't going to the movies while they were fighting the Nazis. Uh, so the box office wasn't great, but it obviously had staying power. It was released and re-released a few times. And uh, in 1999, they released a sequel called Fantasia 2000, where now that computers were being used to animate things, you could do the same kind of storytelling to more classical music, but you could now do computer animation to just take that next step and say, well, this is what we did when we were using traditional animation in 1940. What's changed over 60 years? Well, now we use computers. And you have another fantastic example of storytelling, visual storytelling to this classical music, and it just looks great. So anyway, uh, my number three pick, Fantasia. Oh, it's such a good one. And the fact that it was came out in 1940, you know, when, when animation, especially, you know, color animation, which is still relatively in its infancy, it really showed what animation could be. Yeah. You know? Oh, such a good pick. I like that one. Okay, I'm going to be, uh, my last one was 1981. I'm staying in 1981. And this is totally different than Fantasia, this one. And this is Heavy Metal. Nice. So <laughs> there used to be this magazine called Heavy Metal. I'm not sure if it's still around or not. I don't know. Do you know if it's still around? I'd be shocked if it is. Yeah, I don't think. It was basically like a comic for adults, basically. Um, it, it was like a, it was a magazine. Basically, and and it had all these kind of science fiction and fantasy short stories in it, like in comic form. And there was all this like violence and nudity in it. Like, like you know, it's not for kids, right? Which is, of course, why I used to read it. Right? <laughs> you know, it was the 80s after all. Uh, yep. But um, anyway, so they made this movie based on the magazine. I'm pretty sure it was a Canadian production. Uh, it was produced by Ivan Reitman. And it featured the voices of a bunch of guys from Toronto Second City at the time, like John Candy and Eugene Levy and Harold Ramis. And some of the scenes, it was made up of like a couple of different vignettes. And some of them were campy and funny, but some were really violent and dark. Uh, I remember there was a story in the middle about this guy that comes across these like old World War II planes and the corpses of the pilots come to life and they chase them. And and then there's this really long story at the end about this female character that's it's kind of she's kind of like a medieval warrior and she flies around on this pterodactyl or something like that. And yeah, it was it, on the cover, right? Or yeah, 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 yeah. You're right. Yeah. You're right. It, it, like the whole thing just sounds incredibly crazy, but it just works. I really like this movie a lot. I really liked it when I was younger. I still like it now. You know what? It's basically like ravioli in the can, only with violence and nudity. <laughs> that's all. So that's my number three. Nice. Good pick. I, that, you know, I uh, I toyed with putting that on my list, but uh, I was fairly confident you would catch it, and uh, and you did. So, yeah. I, I, For me, one of the things that I always remember about heavy metal is the soundtrack was oh, fantastic. Yeah. It, it certainly holds up. It's a great example of definitely what we would call classic rock today but uh, from time i have a few of the tracks from the soundtrack on uh, on my playlist on my phone and from time to time during the shuffle they come up and you're just like oh yeah this is from heavy metal yeah good so. point i should have mentioned that too like because the music in it was good like sammy hager's heavy metal and so many other songs you know oh yeah no you're right the music the music was a big big part of this movie too yeah 
Really good stuff. Nice. Good pick. All right. Thanks. All right. Now, I guess everything that comes after Fantasia, you're going to say, really? That's better than Fantasia? Yeah. So, well, like we said, though, it's it's not the textbook answers we're after. Right. It's personally. What do we personally like as our well, favorite animated movies to watch? I mean, I think my number one pick, I could argue, yes, better than Fantasia. My number two pick, I think a lot of people, number one, they're going to say, I've never heard of that movie. I've never seen that movie. Or they're definitely going to say, there's no way that's better than Fantasia. Well, too bad. It's my pick, and I'm the one doing the show. So <laughs> my number two pick. <laughs> it's, is it's your chicken. podcast, and you'll cry if yeah. you want to. Yeah, exactly. My number two pick is Chicken Run from 2000. Oh, okay. No, that's actually a really good one. Yeah. Have you seen Chicken Run? I've seen parts of it. I remember the, the it's it's like Wallace and Gromit animation kind of thing. Yeah. So really, really kind of original. Animation. Yeah. Yeah. Now, to your point, though. So, yeah, it's it's uh, by Peter Lord and Nick Park, who are the guys that did Wallace and Gromit. Uh, for those who maybe aren't as familiar, Wallace and Gromit, it's a British uh, 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 series that was done with plasticine characters. And it was it was old school stop motion. And they had a tremendous success with these characters. Wallace and Gromit is an, uh, an elderly man and his dog. And they went in all these adventures and stuff. And based on their success with that franchise they branched out into movies and they've done a number of movies uh in the years since then but chicken run was sort of their first real stab at a major motion picture uh it did very well in the box office it was critically acclaimed it got nominated for a number of awards um and i gotta think by the year 2000 they probably weren't using plasticine anymore it was probably all done on a computer but it looks like it's all plasticine and so you have these uh, again, going back to your thing, why animate it if you don't have to? Well, it's called Chicken Run. So the, the premise is that uh, this farmer, this chicken farmer has this, uh, you know, the hen house and the hens in the, chi- in the chicken farm, they don't want to be there. They want to escape and they're trying to escape. And it's a, actually a, a parody or an homage to the classic movie, The Great Escape. And so a lot of the scenes are are shot for shot remakes of scenes from the great escape some of the musical cues are the same music or very similar music from the great escape and the idea is they're constantly trying to get out of the hen house and and escape the farm because they know eventually they're going to be killed and obviously none of them want to die and at the beginning of the movie a rooster comes flying over the fence and crash lands into their farm. And they're like, oh, my God, you can fly? And he's like, yeah, I'm a rooster. Of course I can fly. And the rooster's voiced by Mel Gibson. And he's like very suave and sophisticated. And uh, they believe that that he can fly. So he's like, well, yeah, I can teach you guys how to fly. No problem. I'll get you out of here. We'll just fly over the fence. And then you find out through the course of the movie that, of course, the rooster can't fly and he, he's not gonna be able to teach the chickens how to fly. And so they actually try and build like a mechanical plane to get out of the, to get out of the hen house. And, uh, it, it's, you know, hilarity ensues and it's all these chickens running around and, and it's very, uh, it, it's, it's a lot of great humor and, uh, it's, it's a really good movie. I mean, it's got a lot of great jokes. There's a lot of quotes from it that my, my wife, uh, her family's Scottish. So because it's an English production, she, picked up on a lot of the more subtle humor that maybe went over my head as someone who's not British. And there's a lot of the lines that are quoted in my house over and over again. So uh, I'm going to stick with my number two is Chicken Run. No, I think that's a pretty good one. It's probably a little bit too new for me, you know, for the most part. Although although I do have a newer one in my last two. But uh, but my my, my number two, I'm going back, of course, because, you know, it's Gen X. I'm going back to 1988, and that's Who Framed Roger Rabbit. Uh, it's an interesting one because it mixes live action with animation. 
So, I mean, that's something that's been done since the 40s with, like, Song of the South, but it was never done better than it was here with Who Framed Roger Rabbit. I mean, the movie is incredible. Not just in sort of the creative way in which it mixes the cartoons in live action, but the story's great. The characters are great. The action, the pace, the plot, the movie's got it all. Um, so basically, for anyone that has never seen it, there's the real world, and then there's Toontown. And animated characters all live in Toontown. And one of them is Roger Rabbit. And he's like this goofy cartoon rabbit. And he's married to this like bombshell blonde toon named Jessica Rabbit. But she's not like she's not a rabbit. She's a human cartoon. And she's voiced by Kathleen Turner in one of what I would say is one of the greatest animated voiceovers in movie history. And and there's like there's murder and Roger Rabbit is like a, is suspect, you know, suspected in the murder. He's innocent, so he hires Eddie Valiant, who's a real human, played by Bob Hoskins, probably in the best performance of his career. And so Eddie has to investigate and get to the bottom of the case and find out who framed Roger Rabbit, right? And Christopher Lloyd plays one of the greatest movie villains of all time in Judge Doom. And throughout the movie, there's all these characters, like there's Baby Herman and Benny the Cab. And the scene when they first go into Toontown, it's it just it's so memorable to me. Like I, I went to see this movie in the theater when it first came out, and that scene when they first go into Toontown remind me of the Wizard of Oz when they first walk into the Emerald City. It's just an iconic scene, you know, in, in this in this iconic iconic movie. And I just think you know we mentioned all these advances we've had with CGI and movie making sort of over the past thirty years. And I think as a result of a lot of that, this movie kind of gets lost in the shuffle, you know. But for me, it stands out as a great achievement in movie making. It's magical to watch if you've never seen it. And Kaben, I'll tell you what, I will dominate this movie for a future podcast because it's, I think it's worth going back and looking at, especially it, talking about within the, the framework and the context of today's CGI. But again, it's a movie I made my, my sons both watch. They both absolutely loved it. Who Framed Roger Rabbit? 1988, my number two animated film of all time. So I've never seen it. Oh my goodness, really? Never seen it. It never appealed to me. I saw the trailer and I'm like, not interesting. And the character, like you said, the animated characters are all sort of different styles. It it just seemed too wacky and crazy. And the idea of, of cartoons and real people interacting, no appeal to me whatsoever. Never had any desire to see it. Okay, but you're a, you're a major film buff. So I, I will get you to watch this at some point and then just see what your your take is actually having gone and watched the movie. Maybe maybe it'll change. Maybe not. You know, but like I say, in the context of today's CGI, I think it's I think it's important to take another look at this movie or for so like in your case, for the first time. There are two other movies that sort of use this trick, this 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 uh, I'll call it a crutch, but that certainly has the wrong negative connotations. Um, cool World. Yeah. And Space Jam. Mm-hmm. Both have the same idea where it's real people and animation overlapping for storytelling purposes. I've seen both of those. I didn't really like either one of those that much either. Yeah, they're Although, not that good. Don't don't never tell really never tell stuff. Yancey that I'm putting down Space Jam because I know he likes that movie. <laughs> uh, but they're both not very good. I seriously, I honestly think if you watch Who Framed Roger Rabbit, you'd be like, you know what, Chris, you're right. This movie is really good. Okay, well, uh, I, I I will. Give it a chance should you nominate it for a review later on a future episode. I will make a note of that. I, the last couple of episodes, I've been making notes of all these movies that we're going to add. So looks like we'll be doing this podcast until we're, you know, 
a senior citizens at this rate. Uh, so on to our number one animated film of all time, Caveman. Take it away. So, Chris, yes. are you familiar with the 1978 Lord of the Rings rotoscope cartoon? Of, co- of course I am. I've mentioned them before on the podcast. They're just awful. So that's not my number one. I was just messing with you. They're so (laughs) bad. And the thing is, like, I love Lord of the Rings. I've read it to my son. You know, I think it's, oh, the the books are so good. They were a big part of my childhood. I love the stories. I love the characters. And you would have thought as probably maybe like about a 10, 11-year-old, maybe I think I was about 11, um, my grandparents had a had a cottage in Sable Beach, Ontario. And I would go up there in the summertime and they had one of those old laser discs or movie disc things where you push the the plastic sleeve of the movie in and then pulled it out and then the disc stayed in and it played. This is before like, you know, DVDs or even before VHS. Yep. And yep. and one of the, and there was a little local store that you go and rent movies from and they had Lord of the Rings. And I was just so pumped that they were going to, Lord of the Rings animated. Oh my gosh, this is the greatest thing ever. I just love this. And I remember watching it going, oh my God, this sucks. <laughs> As an 11 year old who loves this stuff. And I didn't like it. So, yeah. Yeah. Okay. Well, I'm totally messing with you. Oh, that thank, is absolutely not my number God one God, it's pick. not your number one. Yeah. The, just the whole concept of the rotoscope where you film it with real people and then have animators draw over the cells with yep. the cartoons just seems like a complete waste of time to me. But I guess, cheat. hey, yeah. back in the day, it's this is the way you're going to do it. Fine. Okay. So enough about that. Uh, my real number one pick, uh, I think at this point, no surprise, is Toy Story. Mm. 1995 Toy Story. And by extension, Toy Story 2, 1999, Toy Story 3, 2010, and the upcoming Toy Story 4, which we haven't seen, which is, I believe, coming out this year. Uh, but I'm going to go with 1995 Toy Story. So uh, this is the uh, first full-length movie that is, that is entirely computer-animated. And it's the first major full-length feature from Pixar. So Pixar, I think, today is a household name. You tell anybody, hey, when I talk about Pixar, what am I talking about? And they're like, oh, it's those computer-animated cartoons. It's Toy Story. It's it's WALL-E. It's Finding Nemo. Uh, you know, they have uh, a dozen or more very successful films, many of which have spawned sequels. Uh, this is the way to do it. And uh, Toy Story was the first one. And it sort of goes back to what I was talking about with the Lego movie. It's uh, how do we tell a story using inanimate objects by animating them? Well, you can draw them out like they would have used, you know, where they would have like synced like Pinocchio. You know, Pinocchio wants to be a real boy, but at the beginning, he's a wooden puppet. So you draw out the wooden puppet. Well, in this case, they created it all by computer. And and I've got to think everybody listening to this show has seen Toy Story or is familiar with the, the concept. But it's what hap- what do your toys do when you're not in the room? And it turns out, if you believe if you believe in the lore, uh, the toys have their own lives. When people, when the owner isn't around, when the children aren't around, the toys do whatever it is they're going to do. And it's all the wacky, zany adventures. And again, it's I think the thing that makes any movie great is it's is the story, the overall plot. The, you know, what is the message that the writer and the director are trying to convey? And if the movie has a good makes a point and resonates with the audience then it's going to last the test of time and i think toy story is another one of these great movies that whether it was a live action movie or an animated movie it's this story of of friendship and acceptance and it it is a very positive message and unlike the lego movie which i i feel is more of an adult movie that is suitable for kids i felt that toy story absolutely 
is an all-ages movie. It is just as good and just as relevant for kids as adults. There are certainly parts in it that are going to appeal more to little kids. There are certainly parts in it that are going to appeal more to adults. But I think no matter what your age, you're going to watch Toy Story and you're going to get something out of it. And you're probably going to get something different out of it depending on your age. And I think that is a compliment to the people who have made this movie that it, it hits on so many levels. It checks so many of the boxes. And the animation is just so great. But... As a pioneer in computer animation, it's not perfect. And one of the things that the filmmakers fully admit to is when they were making Toy Story, they weren't great at animating real people. When it came to animating toys, no problem. A toy is a toy. It has hard edges. It's glossy. It's shiny. It's whatever. But you don't actually see the real people very much in that movie and that is deliberate because they knew that was a limitation of the medium they were using but in subsequent toy stories you see more of the actual people and that's because the the learning curve improved they got better at it but my number one pick best animated movie in my opinion toy story 1995 oh that's a good one and you know i'm never one to like sequels better than the original um, but Toy Story 3, oh my gosh. It's so good. So good. And it not even just as an animated film, just as a, as a film. Like it's just, yeah. it's great. The, the, like it's got so much going on thematically, the end of the movie, the whole idea of just growing up and moving on, you know, from your childhood and, and like that, that, that separation that takes place. Oh, that movie is so, so good. But yeah, the first one is definitely good too. And I've watched it because my kids own it on DVD and, you know, we watch it all the time. So, um, no, it's a good one. It's a good pick. So and, and, I think- and it really did change the landscape of animated films. Oh, for sure. For sure. Um, one of the, um, oh, I got, I got a little trivia for you. I read about this mm-hmm. in Toy Story. They ended up using Tim Allen as the voice of Buzz Lightyear. Do you know who they actually wanted, who they called first and and said, we want to offer you this part, and he turned it down? Mm, Who was that? Billy Crystal. Interesting. Again, that's what I read on the internet. Mm -hmm. May not be right, but the page I was on is usually pretty good. And obviously, they ended up using Billy Crystal in Monsters, Inc., Mike Wazowski, Mike Wazowski. So he he still joined the Pixar family and and had a memorable character uh, a number of years later, but... Uh, that would be an interesting what if, uh, mm-hmm. you know? Um, yeah. So and, and that's something we bring up quite a bit on the podcast about like, you know, you know, what if they cast this person or, you know, they had originally considered this person. Could you imagine the movie with them in it? And that's an interesting one for sure. Okay. My number one, uh, this might actually surprise you. Okay. No, I, 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 I guarantee I know what it is. I've already written it on my list here. I know exactly what your number one is going to be, but I'm not going to spoil it for the listeners. Tell me, Chris, what is your number one pick? I'm not actually not going to go with a Gen X movie. I my know. Number one. It's a movie from 1999. Yancey would be proud of me because it's his all-time favorite year for pop culture. Um, so to set it up a little bit, back in the late 90s, as I'm sure most people remember, um, this irrever- irreverent little show popped up on Comedy Central where the characters were a bunch of foul mouth third graders and at the beginning that's all that the show seemed to be but then all of a sudden something changed and it became the single greatest piece of social satire in pop culture history as far as I'm concerned and of course I'm talking about South Park and my favorite animated film of all time is South Park Bigger, Longer and Uncut Even the title is a metaphor for the male anatomy. Like every single second of the movie is about social commentary, satire, and parody. 
Trey Parker and Matt Stone are brilliant. And the the fact that it's a musical just kicks the whole thing up a notch, as far as I'm concerned. Um, I also love how the plot is about blaming Canada for all of America's <laughs> woes, uh, which is in itself a satire of Americans in general and how so many people look for a scapegoat to blame everyone else for their problems. And, and as I'm, sh- I'm, I'm sure you remember, it starts out with this like sugar sweet song about life in a quiet little mountain town. And then the kids learn profanity from the movies when they go to see the Terrence and Philip movie. And then they just go on this spree of like foul mouth talk and the musical number uncle breaks out. And <laughs> I laughed louder than I've ever laughed in a movie before that and then at the end of the song when they do that song and they hit the button and and for anyone that understands musical theater you know what i mean by the button at the end of a song when there's like one final note like to punctuate the musical number you know that kind of brings the scene to a stop and and, you know gives the audience a chance to like stop and applaud i love how at the end of the uncle number when they hit the button there's a split second of silence and then terrence fills the gap by saying suck my <laughs> when, he, when he does, when he did that in the movie, I was in the movie theater. I laughed so much I fell off my chair. My my friends thought I lost my mind, but like all the nonsense that goes on in this movie, the parents, you know, in the, in the film, overreacting, you know, to to what's going on, and then they bring the they bring the army in, and, and the army is so steeped in racism that they tape black soldiers to the sides of the planes, and the whole thing is just so over the top. But it's also a cutting and an and accurate social commentary. I've never seen anything like this movie before. And I've never seen anything like it since it came out. Um, and I would say until I went to see Parker and Stone's Book of Mormon, you know, on stage. But those guys, they're on a level all their own when it comes to satire and social comedy, commentary and parody. And I think South Park, Bigger, Longer, and Uncut is the greatest animated film I have ever seen in my life for all the reasons that I just mentioned. Yeah, no, I agree. I I really wanted to put this on my list as well, but I knew you have a special place in your heart for this and it was going to make your list. And when we got down to number two and you hadn't said South Park yet, I was like, okay, I know this is going to be your number one without any doubt. And I got to agree for all the things you said. I love this movie. Uh, This is definitely one of my favorite animated movies as well. Uh, It's certainly if we did an episode on your favorite musicals, this is probably my number one or my number two. Uh, one of the things, well, a number of things really the songs hit are over. so good. They're so good, and they're, they're so, so good. They're so memorable. Like I have the soundtrack, and it's like you listen to the songs, you want to, you want to sing them, even though they're full of swears, and you're, you know, probably shouldn't. Um, when I went to see this movie, much like you, I went with uh, a group of my friends, one of which was one of my college roommates, and this guy has a reputation for having one of the most warped and sick and twisted sense of humor and just is filthy. He always tells filthy jokes and he likes the, the most rude and obscene things. And for him to really like find something so funny, it really has to be over the top. And he was one of the ones that actually showed me South Park in the first place. Anyway, he and I went to see this movie and he had the same reaction you had, Chris, to the exact same part. He was laughing so much. He literally fell off his chair. And in a number of the scenes, he was laughing so much. He was like, he couldn't breathe. He was like hyperventilating. That was me. And, And he was laughing so much. The people around him, including me, were laughing at his reaction Mm -hmm. just as much as we were laughing at the movie. And 
like he and I still from time to time we'll talk about it and he's like I can't remember ever laughing that hard at anything before or since he's like that was definitely one of the funniest times of my whole life so yeah love it love it so much so good for so many reasons Oh yeah, like like I say, I, I had the exact same experience in the theater. My friends and colleagues that I went to, well, there's a whole bunch of us that went. They literally were laughing more at me than what was on the screen because I just I'd never seen anything like it. And the fact that they they, they break into all these musical numbers, I was like, where'd that come from? And the the whole thing is just so 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 good. When Big Gay Al does his song. You know, oh, just the, everything in that movie is just so so well done, and like I say, it's it's all such a, such a, just a social commentary that I'd never seen done quite so well before. Those guys, Trey Parker and Matt Stone, I think they they just must tick off just about everybody that they go to, and and, and then I'll, I'll explain why because they go into animated the animated world and they basically tick everybody off because they're doing it so much better than everybody else. And then I went to see, I went down to Toronto to see Book of Mormon a number of years ago when it came out. And I remember one of the the reactions I had in the audience was, boy, they must be really, really pissing off people on Broadway because people on Broadway be going, hey man, we've been doing this our whole lives. And these guys just came in here and just schooled us on how this is done. <laughs> like, they're just so, so talented. So, yep, nope, I, we, we both agree that's a good one. And, and I guess, you know, I, I, I'm i glad that, you know, you, you kind of let me kind of put that one as my, my number one. And uh, we'll just kind of leave it at that. But uh, anyway, time now to have some... Fun with Caveman. Okay, so a little while ago, I had the opportunity to do a guest spot on the Nasty Cast with my good buddy, Nate Dawkins. And I was also on there with his co-hosts, uh, Van Lee and Ron Rigney, um, two really great guys, too. Um, I didn't really know those guys before I did that guest spot, but I got to know them you know, really well when I was doing the show. Anyway, um, when I guested on the show, one of the things that we did was we played a game where Nate would give us taglines to movies, and we had to guess the movie. And it was a great idea, so I'm totally going to rip it off, and I'm going <laughs> to use it here on the show. So here's the deal, Caveman. I'm going to give you the movie tagline. You name the animated film, all right? So this is the marketing tagline that you find in the poster, or this is a quote from the movie? I uh, No, it's a, it's a tagline, the marketing tagline for the movie. Okay. Okay? Okay. So it's pretty easy. I'm just going to give you the tagline. You name the animated film. It's, they're all animated films, obviously, to stay on topic. Okay? Okay. So okay. here we go. Okay? The toys are back in town. I would think that's Toy Story 2. Very good. See, this is easy. You can do this. All right. After um, blowing last week's one and not getting the first answer, I felt I had to redeem myself. But yeah, but last week, you know, you correctly. really righted the ship because you, you got a whole bunch of them after that. Okay. Okay, so life's greatest adventure is finding your place in the circle of life. I have no idea. The circle of life is really the key here. I, I have no idea. It's the Lion King from 94. Oh, jeez. The circle of life. Oh, I remember there was a South Park uh, spoof that they did on one of the episodes. I think it was called the Circle of Poo or the, you know something like that. Oh, um, said no. <laughs> okay, so here's one. After 700 years of doing what he was built for, he'll discover what he's meant for. Wow. Uh, Can you read it to me again? After 700 years of doing what he was built for, he'll discover what he's meant for. Uh, is it Wally? It is Wally. All right. 
Okay, here's a very simple one. Two words. Wish granted. Aladdin. Yes, you are correct. See, you got this. It's, it's, it's really easy. The happiest, dopiest, grumpiest, sneeziest movie of the year. Well, I got to think that's The Seven Dwarfs. Mm, yes, close. Can you get the main character in there for the real so title? White. Yes, that is correct. I'll go back in 1937, so it makes it kind of hard. Okay, she just kept swimming. Uh, Wow. She just it's gotta, be, gotta be about a fish. Is it Finding Nemo? Mm. No, is it, they did the sequel to Finding Nemo, didn't they? Yes, what I can't remember called? what it's called. Oh, it's Finding Dory. No, I never Finding saw Dory. it. That's okay. Okay, two friends that didn't know they were supposed to be enemies. Wow. Uh, two friends. Uh, is it Toy Story One? <laughs> No, it's going back to one of my favorite years, 1981, for pop culture. Oh, it's the Fox and oh, the Hound. Fox and Hound, yeah, of course. It's a good one, right? We did honorable mentions. That would have been one of my. That was a really good. I can't movie. believe I missed that one. Yeah, that just barely, barely missed my list. Um, okay, so here's a newer one for you. Okay, to make it easy, because you like all this new stuff. Welcome to the urban jungle. Wow. Welcome to the uh, urban jungle. I I have no idea. It's Zootopia. Zootopia. Oh, okay. okay. Uh, the greatest fairy tale never told. Oh, and this sounds familiar. Was it Shrek? It was Shrek. Yes, oh, it was. And here's a really easy one. We're going back, but when you wish upon a star, your dreams come true. Uh, I can hear the song going. Uh, was it Pinocchio? <laughs> It is Pinocchio. Congratulations. Okay. There you go. So there you go. You did really, really good, actually. You got uh, three, four, five. You got a whole bunch of these. You got, you got I missed a couple. Oh, In all yeah. fairness, I worked at the video store for a long time. So mm-hmm. a lot of these are like quotes you would see on the covers. Of on the, the cover. Boxes. Yep. So, yeah, a couple of the ones I missed, I sort of kicked myself going, ah, I should, probably should have got that. But, yeah. I mean, all, if, if the good. marketing person has done their job right. The tagline should be pretty obvious of what the movie is either about or what, especially if a movie ended up doing well. Exactly. And none of these were like obscure, obscure films in any way. So, you know, for that, Uh, I'll tell you what, next show for real this time, we're going to come back and we're going to take a look and we're going to review 1968's Night of the Living Dead. You're on board for that, right, Derek? Absolutely. Perfect. We'll do that for sure next time. Um, but, uh, you know, hey, man, it's been a great time talking about animated films. Uh, but in, until next week when we come back and do that horror film, uh, you can always find us on Twitter at Amaron underscore DM. That's for Derek at C McBrien. McBrien is I-E-N. That's me. PopCosureWorld.com is our website. All of our contact information is on there. Make sure if you do download the show and listen to it on iTunes, make sure to take a minute, leave a review for the show. We'd obviously really, really appreciate that. But I'll tell you what, until next time, this is Chris McBrien for Derek Myers, caveman himself, saying thanks for listening to Pop Goes Your World, the pop culture podcast for the generations. Thanks for listening to Pop Goes Your World. You can contact Chris and Derek at popgoesyourworld.com. Please take a minute and review the podcast on iTunes or wherever you download and listen to the show. 